Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlin, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick to talk about the 4-0 Dukes. They are 4-0, and that is that is almost as hype as our, as our intro song. Every time I hear that intro song, I just get more and more excited. But the Dukes, 4-0, and um, if you had told me this, that they were 4-0 after the first month of the season, I, I think I would have thought you were crazy. I really thought they were going to drop one of those road games. Not because of lack of ability, but because four, just, excuse me, three road games to start a season like that is very hard. And Signetti mentioned it countless times. I believe they're the only FBS team to do that this year with no buy in there, maybe, or one of six. I think well, he said not, a few. Yeah, it's not technically true, but he has, he has said that. <laughs> he has, he's also said it a few different <laughs> ways where I think the first time he said it, it was true, but, but, not a lot of teams do it. Kevin Warner had a great tweet that of all the undefeated teams, they average like one road game so far this season. Uh, JMU's the only one that has played three. They have like a top 20 or 25, like strength of record. They like, they've, they've done a nice job going for now. It's impressive for sure. A lot to unpack within that for no, but, but some of us didn't doubt some of us in our season prediction, which we split up halfway through did have them starting for no. Yeah, I'm kind of actually then very glad that you started that first half because if I had, I would have been like two and two. Bunch of losses. I have them losing this weekend though. So <laughs> yeah, and I have I, I I would have I have them winning. What did I have them winning in the preseason though? Maybe not. Um, exactly. But you know what else is really exciting? The fact that football is back and and Bet Online that it continues to be your number one source for all of your sports wagering info. With all the up-to-minute stats, news, scores, matchup breakdowns, and more, get the latest game odds, spreads, totals, from professional to college football, all at your fingertips. Bet online's real-time updates uh, on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the postseason, the college football postseason, the professional football postseason, Bet Online gives you the access uh, for gives you the access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. So head to betonline.ag. You can follow them on Twitter as well, or you can use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use promo code believe promo code B L E A V B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts JMU a slight home favorite against South Alabama this week. Blake Pace wrote all about it in this week's betting preview. Yeah, should be a good one. We also got to shout out Three Notched, our, our favorite people in Three Notched. <laughs> They've got Minuteman Mondays, Jack, and I read this as it goes across the screen because I never write it down. $3 Minuteman pours. Tuesdays, you get half off on cases at the Valley Collab House. And every Friday, I'm still shocked that they're able to make this happen first half friday a new brew weekly three dollar pours for that new brew as well every friday first tap i love three notched very excited that they're supporting us again this season yeah and very hyped that they are letting us take up the valley collab house's tap room Mm -hmm. set up a table and talk about jmu sports on november 17th 
at 5 p.m. If you over if you're on Facebook, there is an event created between us and Three Notch. So go there, say that you're interested, say that you're going, say whatever it is. That's where all the information will live about our live podcast coming up later this year in November at Three Notch Valley Collab House. There's a men's basketball game that night, so come. Get your JMU sports fix at Three Notch. Get a little bit of beer in the system before JMU goes on, I believe. Do, who do they play that night? App State? Radford. Oh, that's Radford. And then they play App State in football the next day. So get, get, get a full JMU sports weekend. Check that out over on Facebook. If you search in JMU sports news live podcast, something like that should pop up. It's also over on our Facebook, JMU Sports News as well. And a awesome word from another one of our fantastic sponsors. Take it away, third voice. There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave so here's a question when they say it's picked for brilliance do you think it's like an iq over 150 or, or like how do they decide that i don't know we, we would like to learn more about that maybe we'll have somebody on we'll do like a diamond podcast by week next week <laughs> who knows we might get a little crazy um and for the podcast for the podcast listeners you can't see this but holding up some jmu sports news merch just dropped uh, Bennett and I got it. We have a couple T-shirts going out. Excited to see Daniel and Ben with uh, with their with their T-shirts coming out. I also ordered a mug, uh, so I'll wow. be drinking my beer out of a mug next or whenever that eventually comes in. But check out our merch. The link is on my Twitter, and the link is on our website, Jamie Sports News, as well. So that's all the housekeeping stuff out of the way. Bang, good stuff. So what happened this weekend? Jamie defeated Utah State. We have a lot to break down in this game. 45-38. They take a 24-0 lead. Incredible start. Slowly kind of grow. It wasn't even that slowly. They just kind of sort of choked it away a little bit and then ended up winning late. Had some clutch interceptions. Jordan McLeod made a nice throw to Reggie Brown. The Utah State defensive back said, you know what? I don't feel like tackling today and just sort of stopped. And then Reggie Brown took it to the house. They found a way to, to win. Not glamorous. Um you know, like Christopher Williams Jewelers, they're glamorous and laid back. I was I was neither during this game. It didn't feel glamorous, and I was not laid back. No, you were. Back. You were laid back in the you first half, so? and that's when you texted me. You said, you can take over, Twitter, man. I'm a little <laughs> tired. I might fall asleep. And then the wheels came off, and then yeah. my tweets got more and more sad, angry, upset as I was just slinking into my couch, my blanket, over my head more and more all the lights were off and I was just in 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 pain watching that game they've played three FBS games at multiple points during each of those games I thought one they were going to stomp the opponent win by double digits I thought they were going to get blown out and embarrassingly destroyed I thought they were going to lose in <laughs> by narrow margins and then the clock hit zero in all three and I was like what just happened this this was the biggest win of the season against an FBS school Biggest in terms of margin. 
Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. This is the biggest. I wanted to, a one point. Into a take that it was like more for the. Program. No. 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 <laughs> a a one point win, a two point win, and a seven point win in their three FBS games. They have they've outscored their opponents by only ten. This is the Vikings last season all over again. JMU is going to have one game where they get blown out. They're going to have like a seven and two record at one point, and they're going to have a negative point differential. They got outscored like I think it was thirty-one to seven over a stretch, and they covered the spread in the game. Like that's hilarious. <laughs> they're, they're a favorite of like five and a half, six and a half, depending on where you're looking, and they end up covering despite just an awful stretch in the middle because they were really good at the beginning and then pretty good at the end. Like the two, I was I watched some of it back, which I don't know why I was doing that, but I did. Um, good for you. We'll talk about the broadcast a little bit, but. They had like three stops in the final five minutes that all realistically could have been the final stop needed to clinch it. Like they got one in the fourth on the fourth and 18. And I was like, oh my God, they did it. Great. I think Utah State, yeah, they had two more possessions after that in like the final well, four was, minutes. There was a few late fumbles, I believe. I think Latrell Palmer had a rough fumble, fumble when it felt ground. like when it felt like they like the rushing attack finally had found its rhythm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just coughs it up, gave Utah State another opportunity. Then I think they picked it. Then after the pick, I think they punted it away. Yeah, it was insane. Like there, there was no reason that game should have been like that. And and I was watching it in a bar at first. I went to an Oktoberfest on Saturday. I'm in a bar watching the beginning of it. I start getting extremely hyped. I think they go up 17 nothing, and I turn off the game. I'm like, ah, I won. I'll tune in when I get back home. Yeah. Second half starts. I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, okay, they let up a couple of points, but man, they're still dominating this game. Then that first drive from Utah State just like cuts through the JMU secondary like a hot knife through butter. Excuse the cliche, but that's exactly what it was. And I was like, oh no, here. And then I think the first drive, pass, 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 punt. And then Utah State scored again. And I was like, here we go. They've outscored teams 73 to 21 in the first and fourth quarters. And then they've been outscored by 10 in the middle quarters with an eight negative 18 point differential in the third quarter. So they, they got to figure that out. Signetti had said that in the presser this week, they need to figure something out in the third quarter because they've kind of been laying some, some third quarter eggs like the UVA game. They were incredible in the first and fourth. I thought they had a nice start and oh, the Troy game was kind of, kind of just like a level game throughout. I feel like both teams just kind of got theirs, whatever they did, but the other two Utah state and, um, at UVA they were really horrible in the middle of the game yeah and especially that third quarter like you said in the third quarter the first four possessions for JMU against Utah State it culminated in three punts an interception and 12 total yards their first first down did not come until the first play of their fifth drive which was an 11 yard rush from there it was an eight-yard pass, a four-yard rush, a six-yard pass, a seven-yard rush, which ended in a fumble. And then up until the Reggie Brown 74-yard touchdown, Jamie had 59 total yards of offense. Yeah, it was like six of their eight second-half drives were um, three plays or fewer. The other two were four and five one of which was an 85-yard touchdown drive. Like, so weird. It was like three and out, three and out, three and out, fumble, three and out. Like, perfect pass to Reggie Brown for a touchdown. And that was the second half. After being perfect, like, 
perfect offensively in the first half. They, I mean, they had a McLeod interception, but they were incredible in the first half. Do you want me to bore you with the, the play calling of the first half? Just go through each play. I won't go through each play, but do you want me to bore you with how dominant <laughs> it was? Play. Well, yeah, hit me with something. 54-yard touchdown pass to open up the scoring. Mm-hmm. Um, then a field goal felt like they'd gone for it on fourth down earlier in that drive. And then they settled for a field goal from the two. They won the game. So, okay. But kind of interesting. Um, a one yard touchdown run, a three yard touchdown run interception, and then a long drive. And by long, I mean, eight plays that was capped off by a 57 yard touchdown pass to go up 31 to seven. Uh, a one-yard touchdown run to go up 38-14 that was set up by an 18-yard pass. In the first half, they ran 28 plays, 17 passes, 11 rushes uh, for a grand total of 371 yards and 38 points. It's something. And then in the second half, they ran 22 plays, a 50-50 split right down the middle, 148 yards. Six of the f- six of the eight drives began with a run. Yeah, I thought they were so good in the first half about letting McLeod sort of sling it around. In their defense, there were a couple passes in the second half where I was like, that's why Alonzo Barnett won the starting job. So <laughs> there were a few like Jordan McLeod decisions where it was like, whoa, yeah. <laughs> that didn't make... The one interception where he rolled to the side and could have thrown it away instead was like basically taking a sack and just flipped it to a Utah State guy was confusing. His fumble wasn't great. Like he made some mistakes, but gosh, when they unleash the passing game, it's pretty fun. Yeah, when things are firing on all cylinders, it works. And normally in years past with this JMU team, they can normally run on like the running attack. This year, they really aren't able to. Like typically at least a little bit, you'd have at least an ability to, to run, run, and then set up a third and two or something this year. They are averaging probably take out that Bucknell game in the second half of games. I don't know off the top of my head, but I'd imagine about two yards, two to three yards per rush, which is not good. And then on the season, they have a negative EPA in rushes. They are 83rd in the country in EPA per rush. And so what that negative EPA means, if you've listened to this podcast before, you've heard me kind of explain it, but just as a quick explainer, essentially every time they hand off the ball, you can expect negative 0.024 points to be taken off the scoreboard. And that's what I say to all my buddies when I'm watching, they hand off the game. I hate you. I hate you. you. Can you imagine? (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) No, but I think your point is, is well taken that they're probably what, I guess that the EPA in the passing game is um, more productive, right? They've been more productive in the passing attack. And I think the running backs are good, but I think our, maybe our biggest gripe is that it feels predictable um, with yes. the running game. Well, and it's just other- the fact that in the second half yeah. of, ev- of, the, of every FBS game so far in the second half, they've had 14 drives. Sorry, not the, I, I'm getting my spreadsheets mixed up. I did a lot of spreadsheet work this week for this podcast. So in the last two games at Utah State at Troy, they've had 14 drives in the second half combined. 11 of those have been runs. Right. It just feels a little bit predictable, which tends to be our our biggest gripe sometimes is that they get a little predictable. 
And at the same time, you're not you're not looking at a JMU team that that we're upset about, right? They're four and zero, which is awesome. Like we talked about how like we were surprised that they're four and zero. Some of us, some of us called this from the beginning, but no, it's it's a very some incredible. Some of us also called Georgia State to be undefeated, but yeah, you you were on the Georgia State train before before most, <laughs> and you you stayed with them after the Rhode Island game. But anyway, I think that like the point isn't that like oh my god, like you can't run the ball, you're never gonna win when they're four and zero. The point is that like they could be one and three. So like when you're predicting how a team will do the rest of the season, I've seen some Jamie fans be like, we could run the table. Not if they keep playing like that. Like they're definitely not going to run the table like that. They're going to go seven and five or eight and four because the schedule is hard. I think you got to be more aggressive on fourth downs. You've definitely got to vary the play calling a little bit. And if they do that, they, yeah, they could have like a 10 win season because they're four and zero to start, but they got to make some changes. I think or like they're going to start losing. You can't expect to, to win all these one possession games. That's not really sustainable. I agree. And I think a large fix for the defensive issues we've seen so far this season, start with the offense. We'll talk about a little bit later about the third down issues and how I believe the third down issues all begin with first down. Uh, But I think all of, not all, a majority of these issues could be solved. If JMU just kept the defense off the field a little bit in the second half, because when it's you start the first the second half with punt 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 fumble and it, that was what nine play nine 10 11 12 plays and then your defense is just out there again and again and again got burned got burned got burned touchdown 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 just like that you look up and you're like holy hell we got ourselves a game the, the defense has been struggling this year to to consistently slow down opponents passing attacks i i don't think that is something we can disagree on i think almost every jmu fan watches the game and goes yes the secondary has struggled this year but i think a lot of the defensive issues can be solved if the offense can kind of figure out some sort of a more cohesive rhythm rather than relying so heavily on explosive plays which is what they did against utah state yeah, they're like one of the 15 worst third down offenses in the country right now in terms of just conversion percentage. So it'd be cool if they stayed on the field a little bit longer. I think that would help. And they've obviously got some secondary issues. Like the the front six or seven, right, is is very, very good. They're right up there in, in national leaders and sacks and tackles for lost and rushing defense. But uh, the secondary is getting cooked a little bit. So it's, yeah, I think if you can keep some drives together and make it so that um, the defensive line can stay fresh and generate pressure consistently on the quarterback. That's huge. Um, and then also, right, if you can just like score second half points so that the defense has a little bit of leeway to give up some chunk plays, it, it makes everything a little bit easier. Yeah. And the secondary has an all right success rate, but the EPA they allow on a per play basis is 84th in the country. And I know, I know, like you say, when you watch Kalon Black, man, did you guys just see the negative 0.024 come off the, come off the scoreboard? If you pass against Shane, it adds 0.06 points to the scoreboard every single pass, which is insane. You don't see that because they don't go that many decimal points, but like, if they, but it's there. Yeah. (laughs) It's happening. What if that, I love advanced stats. I also understand how stupid they sound at times. But, like, could you imagine if that's how they played the game? That'd be hilarious. Just, like, a point. <laughs> Every two, completion. Point <laughs> they're, they're like, all right, add point zero six. But the um, I think they've given up five mm. pass plays of it's, like, 60-plus yards or something. I'll have to pull up whatever it was. But they're giving up chunk plays at an absurd rate. 
where like most other teams aren't giving up that many chunk plays. And I think that's one of their biggest issues is like they might hang in there for a few pass plays, but it doesn't really matter if like every third pass is a 50 and it's not, it's not that level of rate, but it's like if you have every third pass go for 40 plus, that's a problem. They're just giving up way too many huge plays that are either like a short pass and they miss a key tackle or I think it's Utah state a couple of times. They were just cooked deep. Yeah. Like the guy's wide open. And I know there's some people who were like, but Kay Hillstead makes made some nice throws for Utah State. And he did. Some of them every FBS quarterback is going to make. Like if the dude is uncovered 30 yards downfield, chances are a scholarship player on an FBS team, especially like a Sunbelt team the rest of the way, they're going to hit that throw. Especially Carter Bradley next week. Right. He's not going to miss a bunch of like wide open dudes way down. The, like you have to have the coverage be more consistent and tighter yeah 100 percent. i mean there was that one i i don't know if it was to go down seven or to tie it but it was like a 64 yard just go ball where the corner just was burned by like two or three steps and even in the uva game the game winning play that last play of the game where yeah calandria overthrew it he was wide open he had five steps on him and that's the kind of thing like that will come back to bite JMU against another opponent. Like that's the kind of thing that, that can't happen at the same time. Very cool that they're four and zero. very doing, cool. They're doing some nice stuff and uh, glad they won. Cause this broadcast was abysmal. I had a fun time watching this. Okay. Let's talk about this broadcast. <laughs> um, let, let's screw, let's screw the D line dominates. Uh, D line dominate segment. We are going to have, and let's replace it with, um dookies tough start right 10 seconds into the broadcast to be like the jmu dookies which i thought was like a slight and or joke or fun thing it appeared maybe they think they are the jmu dookies based on the rest of the game no no no, not the jmu the jmyu sorry excuse me the jmy where do they get the y what is the y (laughs) we don't know what is anyone's y that was tough they were got really upset about weird things obviously the kurt signetti phone Oh, we got to talk about a whole segment on the phone. Okay, that'll be next. The phone being taken out was incredible. But, like, at one point, Jordan McLeod had his own read touchdown. Nobody was in within, like, six yards of the guy at the goal line. And they're like, where's the touchdown signal? Where's the signal? Where's Have you seen the signal? It's like everyone just knows it's a touchdown, so they're going to move to the extra point, man. Like, just take a breath. It was was a bad broadcast. They were just like really, and it also probably didn't help that like as this comeback's happening, they're like giddy in the booth, right. and they're like the Dukies are struggling, and you're like, all right, man, shut the shut up, like please just call this, and and I get it, Utah State pays their paychecks, I I understand that like you do have a little bit of bias in your calls, I get that, but like that level of bias needs to be checked, like. The, the football SID has to check that. The the AD – like, someone has to be in charge of them and be like, look, guys, you need to tone it down a little bit because that was unacceptable. I'm okay with you being like – if you're the color broadcaster, I think Vadley's done this a few times on accident. It just happens. You're around the team. You're part of the team. You say we. Things like that accidentally just kind of slip in and out. I'm okay with that for the most part if overall – you are you you can tell a story about JMU you've clearly done your research on them and you don't right. get actively upset when they score a touchdown and you don't actively like question the referees who by the way were terrible and a lot of calls went to benefit you don't question the referees and be like 
what are they doing? This is Utah State deserves better. No, they don't. You lost to Air Force last week. You lost to JMU this week. Grow up. It was a it was very, very unprofessional. The whole like every time they mentioned cheese Surratt, they would like go into sort of like a laughing fit to the point where they weren't calling Elijah Surratt by his name. They were like calling him cheese and cracker. Like that's that's super unprofessional. Like very unprofessional. I will say very funny. The cheese and crackers was reasonably funny if they had brought that up like (laughs) without any of the other instances. But it was it was tough. And then um yeah they would just get mad about weird things the camera angles were horrendous the field goal camera uh, the angles field goal were camera angles. you might as well have just like putting the camera in your mouth or something because like we're <laughs> we're not seeing anything like how would i know if he made the kick <laughs> uh, just put the camera on the referees if anything just so i can see the signal because it was yeah. like field level on the line of scrimmage and i'm just like okay he kicked it and the first time i saw it i was expecting like a quick cut to then like the broader angle no they stayed just like with and i was like um i i don't i don't need this view also pretty wild to laugh about cheese and then when a kicker named nimrod misses a kick we don't get anything (laughs) that's bias because that is that's right there for the taking that's low-hanging fruit that could have been could have been acted upon yeah, that's a that's a name. Also, Cheese Surratt is a nickname. Right. Like, his real name's clearly right next to it, where Nimrod's his like biological given last name. It was just bad. It was really bad. And then they they were apoplectic when uh what a Kurt, word. When that's Kurt an SAT Sign- word right there. Thank you, sir. When Kurt Signetti showed a phone, which is just hilarious. He shows phone to the official of a missed replay. I don't know what Signetti thought would happen there. Like the official would be like, well, let me see the, oh, shoot, you're right. Like there's no way that would have ended well for JMU, um, but very hilarious nonetheless. But the, the announcers were freaking out. Well, can we talk about that missed call on the fake field goal though? Yeah, Nimrod with a touchdown. No, he stepped out by like a full yard. He was way out of bounds, but uh, counts as a touchdown. Maybe slightly more alarming. My guy Chauncey on the edge there was not able to take down the kicker in space, which that's okay. He was he looked so fast on that play. The kicker? <laughs> the kicker. I was like, man, he's got moves. They got to <laughs> stick him a wildcat. Oh, they needed to do something. Well, clearly they didn't need to do something. They put up 38 points. They also then ran later in the game what appeared to be like an unintentional, intentional fake punt that the announcers said was unintentional. They're like, oh, we bobbled the snap, so we just decided to fake it. Why would that be your reaction? <laughs> right? That doesn't make sense. What a weird game. It was one of the weirdest games I've ever watched. I don't think the picture, at least for me, was clear. Like, the broadcast was bad, and I also think at times, like, the interception at the end by D'Angelo Pons deep end to clinch it was very blurry for me. I don't know if that was anyone else. I could <laughs> not see what happened. I couldn't either. I think that favorite- was the broadcast. I think it was a broadcast, but I was also really, really pleased with how they called that because they didn't say it was in inter- like they just went silent. I'm pretty sure. They just sort of, yeah, and then kind of they're just like, like, oh, oh, it's an interception. Hey, Hillstead played his heart out tonight, and I was like, did he, did he, <laughs> did he like die? collapse back there? What do you mean? <laughs> and then they had Pons running with the ball, and I was like, oh, that that checks out for those guys in that broadcast. <sighs> yeah, it was it was not good, but JMU. Gets out of Logan, Utah. Gets out of that broadcast with a forty-five to thirty-eight win. Let's talk about some overreactions that yeah. this game brought upon us from JMU fans. This may have been one of my favorite overreaction corners. 
This overreaction corner reminder that you can check out and put your own opinion, put your own overreaction in every single post game. Just check out our Twitter. We tweet the link out at least once uh, post game. So check that out and you can drop it in anonymously. You can put your name on it, do whatever you want to do. But this week's overreaction corner starts off. JMU's 4-0 record is absurdly close to being 1-3, 10-point total margin of victory over the last three weeks. I love these close matchups, but can't help but think that JMU is due for some painful losses later in the schedule. Ethan Gardner, gotta say, I didn't realize Bennett would say like the exact same thing. I think this is well said. On the flip side, you can have seasons, right, where you just go like, five and zero in one possession games. I just don't think they're going to go like 11 and zero in one possession game. So at a certain point, like if you're better than a team and I thought they were legitimately better than Utah state uh, across like most position groups, you kind of would love to have those be double digit wins that, that don't come down to like needing two interceptions in the final five minutes to, to clinch them. So if they start to play a little better, I, I still think they can have a, a year that doesn't have huge painful losses, but yeah, if they, if they trend in this direction, they're going to take some close L's worth mentioning that JMU did dominate that game in every statistical category, except for the final score. Um, next one, our run defense numbers are inflated because of how bad the secondary is. I don't hate this take for the main reason that JMU uh, JMU's defense has some of the least number of runs called against it, but some of the most passes. So I believe there's only 25 rushes a game per called, which is top 15 in the country. And they're like one of the most passed on groups in the country. Yeah, the run defense is is very good, but it it helps, right? If your secondary is clearly a worse unit, the other team's just going to go, okay, we're just going to throw just, the ball. So that yeah. if a team throws the ball like 10 out of 12 plays, it's easy to be like the run defense. Reminds me a little bit about the um, – uh, Georgia Southern game last year. I think someone asked Isaac Uku after, and they're like, "You guys, you know, put in another great run <laughs> defense performance." He's like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> we gave up 600 yards passing, though." <laughs> there, uh, so JMU, 25 runs are called against it in a game, 38 passes. Do you think it's going to get? I think it. I guess it probably will. Right, I'll answer my own question. But South Alabama and Georgia Southern, there's got to be a crazy pass split the next two games, right? Um, I'll be shocked if South Alabama doesn't try to establish the run. Okay. What about Georgia Southern? You think they go? Uh, I will be shocked if we see Clay Helton call a run. That'd be so sweet if Clay (laughs) Helton was like, I'm just not running. Uh, next one. There are tons of fans that would gladly take their team at four and oh, right now, this three game stretch was as brutal as JMU has had, and they didn't lose. I think leadership deserves a lot of praise for that. Drake. Yeah. Guys, I think Flow Sports may be better than the Mountain West Network. Jordan Simmel. Yep. You're, yep. That was bad. That was terrible. Colorado versus JMU would be the most exciting WWE style bowl game. Not wrong. You could imagine the, 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 the championship belt. Kurt Zignetti <laughs> would have cell phones out there. Dion Primetime Sanders would be at the podium saying some wild stuff about how JMU's disrespected them in the Bahamas Bowl and how Dion Sanders remembers playing against Coach Kurt Signetti because somehow Kurt Signetti's probably been connected to Primetime. I-, I think that would be electric. That's a fun take. It would be a fun game, especially given the fact that Colorado can can throw it a little bit. 
Um, a little bit. But they can't like protect the quarterback. So like JMU's defensive line would get there in two seconds, but then also like guys would be open. That'd be amazing. And then for every sack, Pat Coons would be doing the the championship belt on the sideline, hanging up the phone. Uh, <laughs> we be- might have the worst secondary in the country. And some of those dudes are close friends. Georgia Southern <laughs> might throw for 600 yards. Football alum. I don't think it's the worst. I still don't. <laughs> I'm not entirely sold that they're horrible. Whoa. I, I know that they're not playing well. I don't think they're the worst in the country. I also I think they're one they, of the worst. They've made multiple positional changes here. And we'll get into the two deep at some point, but like it looks like it's going to be Pons and Logan and then Meehan and Thomas, maybe with Q Reed mixing in there. I do think they're making some changes. DJ Barksdale played a decent amount against Utah State. I don't know. Like I think Georgia Southern's going to throw for a lot of yards but I also think they're going to find a way to make some improvements here where it doesn't look quite as bad. And I will say they had a couple of really nice plays. The ponds interception Fisher had an interception and then uh, was it Reminique? Is that how it's pronounced? I think. Yeah. He had a great interception that he immediately fumbled, but like it was a great play to intercept a screen pass. So I, I'm interested with some of the personnel switches. Like if D'Angelo ponds get some, some reps underneath him, if they can look a little bit better in November. I'm also really interested to see if there's like a scheme change where it seems mm-hmm. like this secondary is very big play centric. So do you kind of sell out and and put these guys in man to man? Do you maybe play for those interceptions and try to get those big plays and those those turnovers instead of just kind of sitting back and letting guys dink and dunk down the field on you? Yeah, this team could easily be one and three. Not impressed. D line coach last week, cell phone this week. Signetti trying to compete with Coach Prime for clicks. Mister Gritty. I actually, this is obviously. I don't think they're trying to do this for clicks. I actually think it's very beneficial for the program that they're like staying in the news cycle, even with like dumb yeah. things like that. I agree. I mean, JMU. I think. I think Shane Metlin tweeted out that. There's been six or seven million impressions from the the discount double check thing and then the uh, phone thing this week, which is insane. Free impressions, hyping up your program in an age of social media. Fantastic. Unloading the clip here. Do you remember last week we had the I miss Everett Withers? <laughs> this is from, for the record, I do not miss the Withers era. I'm unloading the clip here. Worst team since Mickey's last season. Worst secondary since Withers last year. Least mobile QB since Matt Lazat, But somehow 4-0 coming off three straight away dubs. I got to defend my guy Jordan McLeod here. He is not not mobile. I think more he just... More mobile than Cole Johnson. More mobile than Cole Johnson. Uh, has some speed. Has some shiftiness. They started calling some RPOs for him, and he was getting into the end zone. Six total touchdowns. Two of them came by way of running the ball. They just haven't leaned on him to run it yet. And I think when he does start to decide to tuck it and run more, he may be putting up some really gaudy rushing numbers. Also, we kind of got, I feel like Jamie fans, myself included, sometimes need to adjust to the fact that like the team's not playing FCS teams anymore. So it's like, oh my gosh, why are they giving up these plays? Because they're not playing Towson. (laughs) Like Utah State, I think they were in a bowl game last year. I think they lost it. But like Hillstead's probably going to be pretty good. Anthony Calandria made some sweet plays against NC State and Maryland for UVA. Like, they have played some talented players, and Gunnar Watson, who's probably the worst of those three quarterbacks, 
had the worst game of those three against JMU. Yeah, I mean, JMU is going up against Tom Flacco, the other Flacco, as the best quarterback they ever faced. Davis Cheek was sometimes the best quarterback they faced. And he was coached by Kurt Signetti. He wasn't as good when Signetti left. Like, your best quarterbacks were missing wide-open receivers, and there were plenty of them that they missed. JMU will go 500 in conference play due to its appalling secondary and bewildering second-half play calling. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they go 500 in conference play, but I think that might just be because the Sun Belt East is damn good. It's such a good. The Sun Belt, I think, is is pulling away as the best G5 conference. If you look at something like the advanced metrics, the Sun Belt East is sort of carrying that. I feel like the no offense to the West, but the West, the West isn't doing it for me. The West outside of South Alabama and Troy is bad. The other part about the West that I think is interesting long-term, and I hadn't pieced this together until watching South Alabama play Central Michigan, most of those teams, with maybe the exception of like Southern Miss, they're like, and Southern Miss is still in SEC country, they're in SEC country, and like clearly not the like place to be on a Saturday in the fall. Like South Alabama's crowd against Central Michigan was very sad, whereas like Marshall's still kind of a hot ticket, like West Virginia's not actually that good. Um, like JMU, like you're going to rather go to a UVA game or Virginia tech, like not right now. So I just feel like some of these other ones app state, maybe UNC is exciting, but I don't think you have a lot of people who are clamoring to become like bandwagon NC state fans. That would just be like sad and heartbreaking. So I feel like you have a lot of the East teams that have loyal fan bases. You're the team that can still get some bandwagon fans. Whereas that's so different if you play in, I don't know, Alabama. Yeah, I agree. Our offensive coordinator needs to figure it out and stop taking the foot off the gas. Our secondary is so bad, it's not even funny, but I think our offense has so much potential. If we just stop playing conservative, all gas, no breaks, go Dukes, Connor. I'll let you take the first go at this because I I have a take that I don't know if you'll fully agree with. My take is that they should go like insane on offense where it's like we're going to throw the ball a ton. And we are going like if it's fourth and five or shorter in the opposing territory, we're going like if they did that, I would love to see how it played out over a game because I think it would be decent. Um, They just yeah, they do seem too conservative sometimes. Okay, I don't think they are conservative. Okay, this is a good take. I think. Their play calling. Isn't working. And that's a bigger issue. I don't think it's conservativeness. They started the third quarter up big with pass, pass, pass. Incomplete, incomplete, incomplete. Something isn't meshing there. There might not be full trust in McLeod. There might be other factors. And I don't think it's conservativeness. I think it's play calling isn't clicking. And to me, that's more worrisome. They are fully reliant on explosive plays. The only play they had over 20 yards in the second half was the Reggie Brown 74-yard touchdown, which was a quick slant that he just happened to take to the house because of bad tackling. It seems like the passing game isn't getting getting open receivers at a consistent enough clip. It's forcing McLeod to do things that the coaching staff may not like. It's, It's giving him less than stellar opportunities. And pair that in with their willingness or, I guess, stubbornness to run the ball consistently on first down and second down, or at least first down 
where they have a sub 50% first down success rate, it's setting up the offense in, in situations to fail. I don't think it's playing conservatively. I think something's not clicking and I'm very interested to see how they adjust going into South Alabama because playing at home is much different than playing on the road. And I think we'll see some of these issues kind of fixed. I also think, I guess in their defense, McLeod has missed some layups. Like, like a guy will just be open for like an eight yard gain and he like bounces it to him stuff that like, Centeno wasn't really missing. Cole Johnson wasn't really missing. Didn't like, you know what I mean? Like some of the last yes. quarterbacks were, were hitting a lot of those. Also worth mentioning that McLeod is returning from like a broken knee and ankle hasn't played in two years and didn't get first team reps all fall camp. Possibly some lingering rust. Yes. Who do I contact at JMU about paying my medical bills after the heart attack this team causes? Glad to leave with a win. Go Dukes, Chelsea. I thought that was a nice one to finish this out on. That is really nice. What I've decided to do and sort of just come to grips with is once they start losing a lead or playing poorly, I just tell myself that they have lost. Yeah, I get those texts. It's over. And then I just tell myself it's over. And then in the end, when they win, it's like a huge (laughs) emotional lift. How about this? How about we stop texting me that because it brings me so much anger. (laughs) You you always get sad. I'll be like this third quarter. I'm like, well, that was nice. Fun fun game. Well, you're a Lions fan. You've experienced a lot of loss in your life. I'm a Seahawks fan. I'm used to winning. You're not used to. No, you are. You are very accustomed to um, pass run conversations. It's just usually the other way, right? (laughs) Too much pass. No, no, no. Seahawks? Well, you know, if they're at the goal line, so to speak. All right. All right. (laughs) You you horned, you shoehorned that in so hard. Uh, Okay. Before we get into everything on uh, JMU versus South Alabama, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, first down success rate and things of that sort, because I like your smile. Is it because we just went really big? I'm he went big and feels like it's like everybody if you're if you don't love numbers and you don't want to hear this lesson tune out for five minutes well okay so jmu's issues are third downs right oh yeah they rank in the bottom 15 in yeah. the nation in third downs so brent venables the head coach of oklahoma went on a radio show and he had a really good take and it led me down a rabbit hole that three hours later i had my numbers But essentially what Brett Venables said was in today's game, third downs don't matter. It's all about what you're doing on first down. Are you setting up the team for success on first downs? First and 10, P and 10 is what he called it, which I guess is just the first drive of the game. Uh, Coach terms are are weird sometimes. So, JMU offensively in UVA, Troy, and Utah State has a 59% success rate on first down when they pass the ball. Can you guess what they have when they run the ball? 42. 49%. So a little better. Not terrible. Not terrible, but not great either. It's under 50%. So if you you ran it four, four times, two of them would be failures. They have an overall success rate of 53.32%. And then on defense, do you want a funny stat? I texted you this stat because it was absolutely hilarious. On first down, JMU's defense was successful 100% of the time against UVA runs. (laughs) It's really funny. And UVA had, let's see how many first downs they had. UVA had 
Sorry, give me one moment. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-three, twenty-four, twenty-five, twenty-four. Twenty-four first downs in that game. Eleven of them were runs. None of them went for more than five yards. Shout out to Des Kitchings for <laughs> handing JMU <laughs> win. That's insane. But JMU on defense, uh, they have a seventy-nine point seven six percent success rate against the run. And I think teams are realizing that because they have a 51% success rate against the pass on first down. But that, yeah, that, that's, not, that's not really the discussion we're having right now. The discussion is that they've had 48 successful plays this season on first down, or I guess the last three games, and passing is by far the better of the two. Yeah, I'd like to see more first down passes. I think it makes sense. McLeod's missing some of them, but when he does hit them, I feel like they're getting a lot of things going. Um, and I also feel like they're starting to figure out maybe how to use the receivers more. I will say I was really impressed with that against Utah State. Uh, they got Dollison involved. He had a long touchdown catch. Yamir Knight had a few catches, and I feel like they've kind of leaned into the fact that um, Elijah Surratt makes sense as a, a starting receiver and that Hudson coming off the bench and, and spot duty is, is what makes the most sense for the entire offense. Yeah, I agree. Okay. I just wanted to talk about success right there for a second. Because I think I it all that. I think it all starts there. Also, fifty seven percent of their first downs this season have been runs. Like their first down play calls? Yeah. It just feels too predictable. And I feel like we talked about this last week, right? When you mix it up a little, then the running game gets going. Also, they do have one running back who has, I think, a positive EPA per play, Tyson Lotten, who is banged up. We don't know his status because he got Knocked out, I guess, in the first quarter or second quarter against Utah State. After like three runs of 15 yards or more. He's really good. So if, if they don't have him, it would be even more reason to throw it, especially with how good Kalon Black has been as a receiver. But what do I know, right? Yeah, I mean, we're not coaches. What do we know? We just play Madden at home. All I know is based off of the horrible camera angles that I saw and not attending any practices, you just got to let McLeod sling it. All right. It's time for this week's news or snooze. Bennett will give me three quotes or storylines from this past week, and I'll say if they're newsworthy or snoozeworthy. Bennett, are you ready? I am. Are you? No, but let's do it. Okay. First one. So some context. Nick Kidwell, James, arguably Jamie's best player, best offensive lineman, is out for the season. Awesome. His left leg, I believe, got rolled up on on the first play of the game. Kind of hard to see in the broadcast. The broadcast, of Child. course, didn't mention it. Anyway. Uh, this quote is from Kurt Zignetti. Nick really had emerged as the leader of the team, and he was a good player. He'd been here a long time. The question that I have for you, is it newsworthy? Obviously, Kidwell being out is newsworthy. But is him as a leader not being on the field newsworthy? Or is it snooze in the sense that he's still like going to be around the team? It'll be interesting to see if he continues to travel with the team and if he, he chooses to like stick it out that way. Um, Shane Metlin had an article today. I believe he was saying how Kidwell was still instrumental on the sidelines during that Utah State game. So if he's not there, I think that will be pretty big. Uh, he's kind of, and I hate to use this cliche, two cliches in one podcast is never good, but he was like a coach on the field. He is old. He is kind of that grizzled offensive lineman who's been there. He's been through it all. And to lose that, I think, does – it is a considerable blow. 
Then on the flip side, this is a very experienced offensive line. The guys stepping up for him are very capable guys. I don't think the offensive line play from a on-the-field standpoint is going to take much of a step back. It is going to take a step back, but I don't think it'll be necessarily like a massive, massive blow. But kind of that leadership, yeah, and, and kind of being that calming force in the huddle may may impact him. And not really a September storyline, but interesting to follow in general. He could use a medical hardship waiver, saying that he was saying um, could do that to come back to JMU. He's also very good and could do that and try to play like his final year on like an NIL deal or Power Five. Don't know how that'll go, but interesting nonetheless. All right, was that news or snooze? What did you decide? I news, news, I news. Blacked out. Okay, sorry, news. Number two, this one's not a quote, but I was interested in this sort of storyline. The 2 deep, right, the, the depth chart released at the beginning of the week had linebackers Jalen Walker and Torres Jones listed as starters, even though they haven't played the last couple of weeks. It has since been shifted to have them as backups. I've never seen a depth chart midweek shift from the Dukes. I check it like pretty much daily just out of boredom. <laughs> well can we talk about like can we talk about the underlying like what this means it means that signetti released one too deep to the media knowing we were going to eat it up and like completely go deep into it put our claws into it and enjoy every moment i don't know if he accounted for bennett being an absolute sicko i'm sure there are other sickos who saw this no i don't know if everyone's going onto the website clicking the game notes link scrolling to page four and then looking at it, I don't know if they're doing that or just referencing the tweets and the pictures true, that everyone true, has been posting. True. So you're an absolute sicko for figuring this out. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also like so weird that Zignetti launched it, knowing that the media and everyone was going to eat it up, put their claws into it, tweet it everywhere, absolutely overanalyze it. And then just quietly a different 2Deep is posted to the website. With Trent Hendrick and Aiden Fisher listed as the starters, and Taurus Jones and Jalen Walker listed as the backups. Oh, and by the way, Latrell Palmer is now on this two deep. He was not included in the last two deep. Hmm. Hmm. This is newsworthy. I think it means that Walker and Jones may be a little bit closer to returning in a weird way. And they may actually dress, but I think Fisher and Hendrick will get the start and get 95% of snaps. Fisher's been awesome. Hendricks stepped up. Fisher has been cool. Stud. Really? Yes. All right. Fisher might be. If Walker and Jones return this year, Fisher can't come off the field. Very hard to take him off the field. All right. Third one here. This is a quote from Kurt Zignetti, who was talking about, um, I guess, the the weird lead changes in the the last few games. He says, you play a power five team, there are going to be ebbs and flows in that game. You play a team like Troy on the road who won the conference championship, there are going to be ebbs and flow in that game. And obviously Saturday. It was reminding me of the Sam Houston game quite a bit at one point. What? I didn't like that. <laughs> you don't mention that game. You can't mention the Sam Houston game. <laughs> but also you say that you play power five team, there are going to be ebbs and flows. You play Troy, there's going to be ebbs and flows. You play, you, you play an FBS game, there's going to be ebbs and flows. Remember that FCS game we played? Some ebbs and flows. In that one as well, there was it was like one also, good ebb and then a flow. <laughs> but also that I don't, I feel like there's ebbs and flows in every, and yes, there are ebbs and flows in every football game. There is momentum swings from both sides. If you believe in momentum, if you don't believe in momentum, there is ebbs and flows. The weird thing to me though is in 
a lot of big games, there tends to be ebbs and flows where the other team flows longer than JMU ebbs. And they come away with wins. So can you question it all that much? Maybe a little bit. But man, do these big games really have some intense ebbs and intenser flows. Some of it, I think Signetti's a great coach. Like, I love him at JMU. He's candid. He's leading them to a ton of wins. He's been an unbelievable coach throughout his career. Some of it feels like a little cop-outy, where it's like that's, you know, you had to know that against Utah State, it was going to have ebbs and flows. You were up 27. Win by 14. You go up 24 zip, right? You're dominating the game. It's hard to say that, like, you should just come out flat in the third quarter and there should be ebbs and flows. Like, it feels like one where I feel like if it's worded differently, where it's like, no, we kind of expect to like stomp them. And we didn't, I don't know. Maybe it sends a little message to the team that like, it's different. Cause like, if you get up and, and it's like, Oh, there are going to be ebbs and flows as a player. Are you like just sort of waiting for the other team to have their ebb or their flow? Like, I don't know. It just seems like a weird, to me, it was a little bit strange at least in terms of, I, I get what he's saying. We're like, we're playing good teams. Like they're going to get theirs, but uh, Utah state, I don't think is as good as the other two teams. But also, they got theirs by outscoring you 31 to 7. Yeah, it's a little different than like, you know, they got theirs and went on a 14 zip run. It's like, no, they were killing you in the middle of the game. But maybe, maybe some fatigue at that point, third game of a three game road trip, second half. Yeah, that, it's in, yeah, that's, that's tough. Newsworthy. There you go. A lot of news this week, then. All right. So that brings us to. The lower third I'm looking for. This week's three-notched weekly preview. South Alabama comes to Bridgeforth after about a month away from the Valley. JMU finally returns. And South Alabama, they're coming in off of a home loss to Central Michigan. A little bit of a fluky game. But Central Michigan out of the MAC goes into South Alabama's house and takes down the Jaguars. Kane Womack, the head coach, he's in his third season, a 17-12 and 12 record. Uh, the Jaguars, they had four first-place votes in the West in the preseason poll and arguably was the best team last year coming out of the Sunbelt West. I would say they were better than Troy, but Troy, the rightful champions. Uh, Jaguars did dominate a Power 5 school just two weeks ago at their place, a 33-7 to win against Oklahoma State, where they kind of destroyed them on the ground. I believe they had 243 rushing yards which is really, really impressive. The Jaguars' offensive rushing attack is one of the best in the nation. Uh, They nearly won at UCLA last season as well, and they have one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt who knows how to win on the road. What does JMU have to do to win? Secondary, again, right? Secondary is probably going to step up and and have a nice game. Callan Lacey, a receiver for them, is probably the most dangerous receiver in the Sun Belt. He's at least up there. Really good going deep, can can make guys miss in the open field. Just an elite receiver, Carter Bradley, a really good quarterback. Their offense is definitely scary. Defensively, I think they were kind of expecting to be better than they've been through four games. So I would anticipate at some point the Jaguars play more consistent defense. And then sort of the other factor I would consider here is the home crowd. If, Jamie, you can get a boost from the home crowd, I think that, that maybe could be the difference in a game that's expected to be pretty tight. But it should be a challenge nonetheless. Yeah, I wrote that down, too, that South Alabama had one of the best, if not the best defense at the end of the year in the Sun Belt. 
And now this year, they are getting absolutely shredded against the pass. Those numbers a little inflated because of what Tulane did to them. But it is a little like concerning that Tulane was able to just like absolutely slice them open. They actually rank worse against the pass than JMU does against the pass. Uh, South Alabama, they allow 0.21 EPA per play, which is 120th in the nation out of 132 schools. JMU for comparison. And we're all very, we all complain about JMU's pass defense. 0.06 allowed on a per play basis, which is 84th in the nation. JMU's strength is passing it. So kind of like what I was talking about earlier, how I don't think they're conservative. I think things just haven't clicked. This is a game where it needs to click. This is a game where you have a clear advantage where your team EPA per play EPA per game success rate, all of that in the passing game, all of those metrics tell you, you should be able to pass the ball extremely well. Jordan McLeod, according to a few statistical categories is a better quarterback than Carter Bradley. He's a more efficient quarterback than Carter Bradley. Jamie has the better receiver. This might be like a, a, a heavyweight offensive battle though, because South Alabama can also pass it at a pretty solid rate. That's what it feels like, right? It's like, can your quarterback play well? And can your secondary play well? And if you go like two for two, you probably win the game. Well, I, I really think South Alabama, because they have one of the best rushing attacks in the entire nation is going to be a little hell bent on stopping on, on establishing the run. They're running back Ladamian Webb. Uh, has 52 carries this season, 346 yards and six touchdowns in four games. Really solid stuff. Um, I think they're really going to lean on him. He has a 44% success rate, which is very solid. And he averages uh, 12.6 AEPA this season. They got some guys. Should be a good one. I think this is going to be a very good game. How important, though, is it that JMU's returning home how do you think that will play into this game? Seems like a huge, huge bump for him, right? I would think like you don't have to travel is one. And then obviously you've got thousands of people who actually want you to succeed compared to previous weeks um, or in, in the Troy case, hundreds of people who didn't want <laughs> you to succeed. But um, and then at the end of the UVA game, I guess everyone did want him to succeed, but I think they'll play well in front of the home crowd. I think it'll be a nice crowd. The weather seems like it should be fine. It'll be good to, to finally get home, I think, for the team. Yeah. How did the Duke stack that, up? We just got to touch mean on you it. Win? But... Right? Does, does coming home mean that you're the, the winning team? Because South Alabama's pretty good on the road. They're scary. That's why I mentioned they went to UCLA and yeah. essentially nearly won. They went to Oklahoma State and took it to a Big 12 team. But JMU is also, like, really good at home. Like... It feels pretty, you mentioned the how does it stack up, but it feels very evenly matched with like JMU's good at home. South Alabama's had some nice road successes. Um, like, I don't know, both passing attacks feel like they probably have a little bit of an edge. It seems like a super, at least for the most part, even matchup, which sometimes you expect those and one team ends up like jumping on the other. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it plays out. Um, if JMU can get it and get to 5-0 and going into the bye week, I mean, that's an unbelievable start to the season. You got to rank the Dukes. Do you, though? Yes. You you would rank them? Would you rank them now? 
Uh, yeah, I'd put him at 25. No, but that's biased. That is 100% bias. <laughs> you are asking me if I would rank the Dukes <laughs> at an under. Yes, of course I would. I also understand that it's biased. I also think that next week, if they are five and zero with a win against South Alabama, I, I think you got to rank them. What about Liberty? Fuck them. Excuse my French. So sorry. That just comes out. <laughs> my bad. Huh. Are they going to win? Yes, yes, they are going to win. Do you want to just do the Sunbelt pick them now? <laughs> Sorry, I keep, I keep just firing stuff at you and you're putting, putting lower thirds up. Look, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get this thing going. I'm trying to, trying to make the live stream look the best. Trying to get it into the house. I'm, what are the keys? Just... They're going to win. <laughs> what is it? Is is it good that they're returning home? I don't know. Are they going to win? <laughs> That's all that matters, man. We're talking a lot of nonsense. It's not about the film. It's not about EPA. It's about putting on the pads. Not about the clicks, right? Does that O mean something to you? Because it means something to me, Jack. So I'll just leave it there. Okay. Do you want to go into three the the, the Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em? Yeah, we can do the Sunbelt picks. Well, don't sound. I still have excited. a one game lead on you. You have a one game lead on me. But because you I pick did... only one different game and then you pick all the same games as you pick second the whole time and then you're like, oh my god, I came back. <laughs> Do you want me to pick first this week? Yeah, I would like you to pick first this week. Yeah, I will pick first. So this week, Sunbelt Weekly Pick'em, Bennett brings a 40 and 9 record into it. I bring a 39 and 10 record into it. Uh, the only pick we differed on last week was Georgia State and Coastal Carolina. Georgia State jumped up to number three in my power rankings after that amazing win. Uh, and with that amazing win from the Panthers, uh, I get one game closer to Bennett in terms of our Sun Belt Weekly Pick'em. So this week, we're starting things off with ODU at Marshall. Wouldn't it be one of the funniest things in the world if ODU went into Huntington, West Virginia and pulled out this win? It would be. It's it not going to happen, but Marshall will win. But that would be hilarious. Going with Marshall here. I could see this one being much closer than the 14-point spread. I agree because while Marshall is number one in my Sunbelt Power Rankings that you can check out over at jmusportsnews.com, uh, they do have some offensive questions. If there is one kryptonite to this team, it's a bad offense. But their defense is just so good and they are so well coached that it seems like it doesn't matter. But if this is like a 24, like if Marshall can only get to like 17 or 24 points, ODU may have a legit chance at just mucking it up enough. Yeah, I could see it being a very mucky game. Uh, Louisiana, Minnesota. Um, Minnesota, sorry. Yeah, Minnesota choked last week against Northwestern, which was a, an embarrassing loss, but um, still Minnesota. Yeah, but Louisiana's not very good either. I don't think so. Um, this is a fun game. Arkansas State, UMass. This is a sickos game. Yeah. I'm going to go Arkansas State. I think they finally got their offensive woes fixed through the first eight quarters of the season. I think they were outscored like 100 to three, something insane like that. They put up 44 against Southern Miss. So I think Arkansas State may have found something offensively. Give me the Red Wolves. I'm taking UMass here. Okay. I think UMass finds a way to get it done. It is in Amherst. So worth noting. Coastal at Georgia Southern. I might Georgia be all Southern. In, might be all in on Georgia Southern now. So, so Georgia Southern coming off of a win against Ball State, where they allowed Ball State to only score three points. They held them in Muncie, Indiana, to no touchdowns. This is a team that I've been saying it. I think Ben has been saying it. 
Offensively, they're the best in the con- con- best in the conference. Defensively is where they're going to lose a lot of games this season. If they can recreate at least half of what they were able to do against Ball State, Georgia Southern is a real threat to win the East. Uh, and I don't think Coastal is actually that good. That's probably fair. Troy at Georgia State. You already know who I'm going with. Yeah. Man, this is a tough one. This is a really tough one. It's in Georgia State. They aren't known to have a good home field advantage, though. Oh, gosh. This is a tough game. I'm going to I'm gonna take Georgia State. I think they're for real in a scary way. Darren Granger, one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league. Yeah. Marcus Carroll is averaging 5.2 yards per carry and two touchdowns a game. That's pretty good. Yeah, Texas State at Southern Miss. Southern Miss just lost to Arkansas State. They're going to beat Texas State. I need to see a little more from uh, from the party in the end zone, boys, before I believe. Whoa! Actually. No, yes. it, this is all Texas State. Southern Miss, have you seen the vibes of Southern Miss fans? Probably pretty bad. Yeah, they are absolutely terrible. And that means the vibes on this team are bad. Frank Gore Jr. can't do anything to reignite this Southern Miss school. Texas State is going to win in blowout fashion. Okay. App State, ULM. App State in this one, they could, sort of like a, a JMU, they could be 4-0 with wins over UNC and Wyoming. Instead, they have two heartbreaking losses in those and are 2-2. Two and two. I still think they're one of the best teams in the league, and I think they beat a crappy ULM team. Yeah, it's a good thing those two losses for App State came in non-conference because they are still right in the mix of it in the standing. So it really yeah. doesn't matter all that much. I'm right there with you, App State. Um, I'm very interested to see the quarterback situation when Ryan, I believe his name is Ryan Berger. Yeah. And he comes back from injury. I like Aguilar, but we'll yeah, see what they do. Because I think Aguilar has been able to move the offense a lot better than Berger was against Gardner-Webb. Um South Alabama, they travel to Harrisonburg, a noon kick on ESPNU. Who do you got, Jaguars or Dukes? This is this is this is a big moment for you, Bennett. I had South Alabama thirty-one to twenty-four in the preseason predictions, and I'm sticking with it. Wow, really? Yeah, it's, it's some of it's an emotional hedge, um, but I don't know. Like, there's so many positives that jmu's had the last three weeks but there's also a bunch of negatives i feel like south alabama after a really disappointing loss to central michigan where i thought they were the better team is going to be fired up and they, they play well on the road it just feels like a spot where they're gonna maybe put them themselves right back in that sunbelt west driver's seat okay so after not scoring 40 points through the first three weeks of the season the duke scored 45 last week i believe they keep that going with a 42 38 win over South Alabama this week. I think we will see knockout blows from each team through the passing attack, uh, and I think both secondaries will get a few big plays. I think JMU comes up with one more interception or force fumble to seal the game late, very similar to how they did against Utah State. You see the total for this game? What is it? Like 50, 49 and a half at some. Doesn't that seem very low? Yeah, it does. I would. What would you put it at, though? Like 60s? Yeah, I mean, both teams are going to probably hit 30. I would do like mid-50s or something. But it just it's one where it's like, did you know, is there a little something out there, a little information that I don't realize? Like, is this going to end up being a 24-17, the defense is 
look the way we thought maybe they would in the preseason. I mean, Troy and JMU were in a 16-14 game. So, like, JMU's defense has shown that it can hold an yeah. opponent to only a few touchdowns. But, I yeah, I don't know. If the secondary steps up, it couldn't really change the outlook for, for JMU pretty dramatically if they play well in this game. I mean, even if they just play, like, a half a step better. Adequately, yeah. It'd be it'd be insane. Do you want to talk a little bit like what's happening around the Sun Belt? You put that in the outline, so I don't know if you want to talk a little around I put the that Sun Belt. in, and then we kind of hit on it decently during the pick. I was just saying the East playing at a really high level, and I think it's it's kind of hard to overstate how up in the air the East is. Like I could convince myself that everyone other than Old Dominion is going to win the East. Yeah, I mean, again, I will shamelessly plug my power rankings here. So in the first eight of the power rankings out of 14, six of them are Sunbelt East teams. Marshall, JMU, Georgia State are one, two, three. And then Southern, App State, and Coastal are six, seven, eight. It's fascinating. And, and, I, don't, and I think the gap between eight with Coastal and nine with Texas State is quite large. Yeah, the West, I'm, I'm still workshopping this, but I think I just don't even care about the West. Uh, there, there's some good teams. I like South Alabama. I like Troy. Southern Miss has like good fans and stuff. But man, if you told me like, oh, the West drifted out to the ocean and now they're on an island and the Sun Belt's only going to be the East, I'd be like, cool. I, I don't care about the like. There's no emotional attachment to South Alabama for me. The East, they have those regional rivalries that I like. Right. Some of these teams aren't in the middle of SEC country, so their fans actually care, and are, it's not like their fourth favorite college team. Just well, JMU, out is, on the West. JMU is some Harrisonburg's people, fourth favorite college team behind Bridgewater, Virginia Tech, and UVA. It's <laughs> not quite as much as like, uh, there's not like a Louisiana, like if you're in Louisiana, you're a LSU fan. Like oh, no one's joining the Louisiana bandwagon. No, I, I 100, and I think you hit it really well earlier. Like the, the East is more capable of pulling bandwagon fans from other power five schools where the West is like entrenched in SEC country. And it's like, yeah, South Alabama is not pulling anyone from Auburn or Alabama. That's that's what Southern Miss is like. isn't pulling anyone from Ole Miss or Mississippi State. And they've got some good football teams, right? So they're they're playing decent football, but it just feels like the East, like their future, to me, is way more exciting than the West. So just just putting that out there. So give all of the Sun Belt West teams to Conference USA is what Bennett is saying. Yeah, I'd like that. No, because it would, it would strengthen them too much. So maybe you just give That's them a great point. Actually, just give them Arkansas State and, and keep Troy and South Alabama, and then the other teams can go out to to the FCS. I don't know. Damn, you are you are really we'll figure it out. If South Alabama is going to beat Jamie by like thirty this weekend, I'm just going to have to like talk about the West for for an hour next week. Yeah, what, what's more likely? I'm going to give you three options. You tell me which one's more likely, and then we'll hit on some quick stuff at the end, and then move on. Um, JMU to win a close one. Mm -hmm. JMU to lose in a blowout. Or South Alabama. I guess I need four. Is it both of them close one and both of them blowout? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think, well, I, I'm sticking with South Alabama close one. I, I think it'll be a close one either way. Um, if one team was to blow out the other team, I think JMU would blow out South Alabama. Like there's a chance that South Alabama's defense just isn't that good. And they're still like dead set on running the ball. Like you were saying, 
if they do that and their secondary struggles again and they're on the road, like I could see it spiraling at some point. Dude, I just feel like they got some some dogs on offense. Here's a take I'm still workshopping, so uh, sure. still in the preliminary stage. South Alabama beating Oklahoma State by running for over 240 yards on them was actually the worst thing possible for this <laughs> JMU game because they think they can run the ball well. I'm, I'm going to be interested to see if they abandon it or when they abandon it. Utah State late in that game starting to starting to get some runs going, though. So Well, I think at a certain point, JMU is like, okay, we can't rush five. Okay, we have to bring in an extra – okay, we have to, like, tell – Jalen Green or Kamara to like not rush as hard up the field and maybe have to help. Like, I think late in games, Jamie's kind of like, what can we do to help this secondary? And that's when teams are like, let's run it. Can't wait for this game, though. It should be an absolute battle. Uh, in other Jamie sports news, a lot of golf stuff. Men's golf playing well, women's golf playing well. Um, Men's soccer, I think they've lost three in a row, so they're they're fizzling a little bit after a hot start. Yeah. Um, women's field soccer. Hockey, field hockey, we have to put on some sort of alert, but women's soccer is playing well. Women's soccer is up. I think they're the second or third best team in the RPI right now. That's been in the su- in the Sun Belt. Oh, I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> wow, they're number three in the RPI. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Definitely sure. Whatever they are. We're chopped that a little bit better. And Sophie Davis was the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Week. Uh, for volleyball, she I believe she also set like the blocks record or something insane. She's great. Yeah, she's very good. Um, Lauren Steinbrecher, I think, also just hit a massive milestone. <laughs> As I can't remember, it was it was it was, it was wind. It was wind, but I didn't want to say the wrong number. Let me let me try to find it. I'm, who can find it first? <laughs> 250. Thank you. I was thinking 250, but in my head, I also had 300. And I didn't want to say the wrong number. I think we should make that a bit, though, that we start doing when, when people have like <laughs> historic achievements and they're like, they just made history. <laughs> Let me pause for a while. <laughs> Don't tell anybody what it is. Huh. Well, anything else you got to add before we get up on out of here? I want to put field hockey on alert. They're two and seven. So okay. just put them on alert. I don't know what that means right now, but maybe okay. next week during the bye week, we there's some sort of alert that I'm putting out. Okay. Okay, sure. We're on alert. Oh, real quick. Did you see QB Spotlight's um, tweet today? Our friend Stephen Hamner. Did yes. you see his tweet? For those who haven't seen the tweet, it was a very great insight into this quarterback matchup between Carter Bradley and Jordan McLeod. Um, I'm pulling up the stats now. Another thing. Did you see the tweet? Yeah, awesome. Okay, that's all we need to talk about for this. Um, Jordan <laughs> McLeod, he's better when he's blitzed. Uh, he's... 29 to 41 for 438 yards and four touchdowns when he's not blitzed 37 of 60 450 four touchdowns two interceptions here's a question for you if you're jmu do you put a guy in the slot and have that guy him? have that guy turn around and then blitz him <laughs> uh, yeah the phoenix <laughs> a simulated a sim- a simulated blitzer um carter bradley 33 of his 69 nice completions have been behind the line of scrimmage, meaning he gets the ball out very quickly. Um, mm. I don't have ADOT information, average depth, of, average depth of target or air yard information, but I got to imagine Carter Bradley's like in the bot. 
bottom of the league, but it also worries me a lot that a lot of his passes are quick because JMU has shown that's where they struggle. Well, they struggle against everything equally, but they struggle against that a lot too. They were throwing some junk against Central Michigan, like a lot of behind this line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage crap. So we'll see if they keep doing that. I feel like JMU's had a few times this year where they busted in on some screens. Hashtag yeah. Ben, Chauncey Logan a couple times. So maybe they'll just run screens. The screens and run it and JMU wins. I think JMU actually, as we've talked about it more, JMU blows him out. I think JMU wins. I'm so <laughs> confident in this game. I'm so excited. I think JMU's going to throw for 350 yards, four touchdowns, put on another two in the end zone. Oh. That's, that cracks me up because it's like they did that against Utah State. And they still didn't <laughs> blow him out. <laughs> All right. For Bennett Conlon, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you so much for tuning into the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. Wherever you listen to the podcast, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe so you never miss out on any of the JMU Sports News stuff coming at you. Check us out on YouTube, JMU Sports News, and Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all of the socials. Uh, we are there. Until next week, see ya. For listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.